Well, good morning, everybody, and uh, welcome to today. I was wondering what to speak about to you this morning, and then I listened to last week, and I gather you've been looking at Philippians chapter 2 and thinking about selfless love and the way that that shows in the, 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 the example of Jesus himself. Well, that's brilliant, but there's an awful lot more in chapter 2 as well. So I thought maybe it'd be good just to follow on from that and talk this morning about six marks of selfless love that you find in the second part of that chapter. You see, it's a funny chapter, isn't it? Because you've got that great stuff about the Lord Jesus and how uh, he gave himself for us. And then Paul says, I want you to live out your Christian life to the very ultimate. Follow that example. Be like that with one another. It's all inspiring stuff. And uh, uh, he says, you know, if you do that, you'll make me so proud of you. I won't even care if I'm poured out as a drink offering uh, I, I, and I lose my life so that you people can just be what you need to be inspiring and then he suddenly oh yeah by the way um timothy's going to come and see you soon and epaphroditus yep sending him back to you he's been unwell but he's all right now and you think what an anticlimax <laughs> in a great chapter like that it's as if you know somebody sends a, 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 a leaves a note for his wife one morning saying darling this is to tell you i've fallen in love with another woman i'm leaving oh by the way can you pick up some milk from the service station on the way home all right, if your boss sends you a letter, say, this is just to say two things. One, you've lost your job. You have half an hour to clear out of the office. Uh, oh, and two, uh, I want a cup of coffee. Two sugars, please. That would seem like a bit of an anticlimax. So why does Paul do it that way? Well, I think that uh, to understand that, we need to understand how chapter two works. First, though, let's read the verses I want to think about this morning. Here they are. I hope in the Lord Jesus, says Paul, to send Timothy to you, soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare, for everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope therefore to send him as soon as I can see how things go with me, and I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honour people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. Those are our verses. And here is how I think chapter 2 actually works. It starts off, doesn't it, with the Apostle Paul saying, I want you to be united. Philippi, you have become a disunited church. It's terrible when I remember the old days, how great it was when you started out. Now I want you to be of the same mind, the same love, and the same spirit. And having painted what that means in a few verses, he then goes on to say, well, that means being like Jesus, having the same attitude that was there in Christ Jesus. And he gives us that tremendous poem, about how Jesus was in the form of God and yet he was in the form of a servant as well. 
There are two words in Greek that you could use to translate form. One is the word that's used for an actor's mask in the Greek drama. And it means something that uh, uh, is different on the outside from what it is on the inside. I mean, if you're an actor in a tragedy, you might come on wearing a mask that's got a crying face on it. Inside, you might be feeling quite happy because you just won a thousand drachmas or, or something like that. And so the acting bit of it is hypocrisy. You're doing something on the outside that you aren't on the inside. That is not the word that's used here. Jesus was in the form of God and he uses a word that, 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 that means he was the very same on the inside as he was on the outside. He really was God. He looked like God and he was God. And yet he was in the form of a servant. He looked like a servant and it wasn't just show. He wasn't just pretending. He really was. He had that instinct. And Paul says, we've got to be like that. So from there he goes on to say, so you've got to work out your salvation. You've got to live it out practically. Because God is at work in you already, supplying with all the power of the Holy Spirit so that you can live in that way. But you've got to do it. You've got to apply it. Otherwise, it doesn't work. And he goes on to say, go on, make me proud of you. If it costs me everything, that's okay. I don't mind being poured out as a drink offering as long as your life is everything that God wants it to be and you shine like stars in the sky. And then I think he thinks to himself, I don't want to put myself on a pedestal as some sort of great example of what this selfless love thing is supposed to be. Let's mention the two other guys. And this is a technique you find Paul using in a few of his letters. He'll sometimes introduce somebody we don't know much about, like um, Tychicus or Phoebe or other names like that, just to, 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 to imply to people, watch these people. They've got something to teach you. Epaphras, uh, Aquila, Priscilla, people like that. And he tends to introduce those names at strategic moments. And so what he does here, I think, is to say, it's not just me that thinks like that. Not just me that's prepared to love you selflessly. There are other people who do it as well. And I think that in the next two names he mentions, Timothy and Epaphroditus, you get six marks of what selfless love is supposed to be all about. So in the rest of the time we've got, I just want to look at those things. Let's introduce those guys in. Well, uh, we don't really need to introduce Timothy much because you probably know a lot about him. Paul picked him up as a young man. He became Paul's psychic. And Paul says here he's approved by testing. So Timothy is the tested one. He's the one who's paid his dues. He's travelled all over the map uh, with the Apostle Paul and he's shown himself reliable, uh, uh, dedicated, committed and loving in everything he's done. Timothy the tested one. But this guy you might not know so much about. Epaphroditus. And he's the adventurous one. The risk taker. The gambler. As we'll see later on. What do we know about Epaphroditus? Well, we know he was living in Philippi. And we know that he was with Paul at this particular point when Paul wrote the letter because he'd been sent by the church in Philippi with a gift for Paul. And I think they'd probably said to him, just see if there's anything else you can do for him as well. Because they had heard that Paul was in prison. And so Epaphroditus took the risk of travelling a very long way. Now, we don't know quite where he went to. <laughs> he either went to Rome, which is 720 miles, uh, 29 miles from Philippi, and uh, that's a trip of some 57 days. Uh, taking a rest on each Lord's Day, that would mean it was a trip of nearly two months. And uh, it was a risky, risky journey in those days. He might have had an easier job, though, because there is a case for saying that Paul was in prison at this moment, not in Rome, but in Ephesus. 
and if so it's only just ah, 350 miles <laughs> a mere hop but of course that would take weeks as well and so Epaphroditus uh, was doing something quite big and just making that journey to see a convicted criminal who was in prison and coming to the prison door and saying oh I want to see Paul the Apostle maybe oh yes you're a Christian okay put him on irons boys it was a risky job being associated with people who weren't in favour in society. So Epaphroditus did that. Now we don't know much about him. He's often thought of as a young guy because, well, many of Paul's helpers were. But they weren't all. And Epaphroditus may well have been an ex-soldier. Somebody from the Roman Praetorian Guard. The very people who were looking after Paul as he was under arrest at this particular moment. <laughs> and uh, whatever. He was somebody who uh, was prepared to uh, give what he had just to serve the Apostle Paul. His name, Epaphroditus, means belonging to Aphrodite. She was the goddess, the beautiful, beautiful goddess, who was supposed to have come to earth and been born at this spot near Paphos in uh, the Isle of Cyprus. Beautiful, beautiful place. and uh, You can imagine a really beautiful person coming from there. And so belonging to Aphrodite, Epaphroditus, uh, was used as a common name in Greek, meaning graceful, handsome, or charming. We don't know if Epaphroditus was like that. Um, as an old soldier, he might have looked very different, but uh, certainly that's what his name meant. And that is pretty much all we know about him. We don't know where he came from. We don't know how he came to faith. We don't know how old he was. We don't know why he was chosen as a messenger of the church. We don't know whether he was rich or poor. We don't know what he brought to Paul. We don't know uh, where he had to bring it to. Was it Rome? Was it Ephesus? We don't know what he nearly died of. We don't know how he got better. We don't know what happened to him afterwards. <laughs> so there's an awful lot we don't know about Epaphroditus, but there are some real lessons he can teach us. Okay, let's look at these lessons. What does selfless love look like? Let's look at Timothy first. The one who Paul says was approved by what he'd gone through. And there are two lessons from Timothy, I think. First of all, selfless love cares about others to a greater than usual degree. And Paul says this about Timothy, doesn't he? Timothy had been with the church in Philippi off and on from the very moment it started. He'd been there with Paul and Silas. When Paul and Silas were thrown into prison, you remember, and the, if he, the Philippian jailer became a Christian with his whole family, Timothy was there and Luke was there as well. They weren't in prison with Paul and Silas, but they were there. And so the Philippian Christians had known Timothy since he was a very young man, in his late teens or early twenties at the very outside. And uh, they probably looked at him as he came in and out of the church. He was there at least three times, we know, uh, saying, that's our boy. We know him. We remember how he started. We were the first church that he helped to start and uh, we have a special connection with him. And Paul says, he's shown this love down through the years to you. I have nobody like him who cares for you just because he cares for you. And selfless love cares more than is usual in human relationships. It's easy for us to feel distressed for a moment when we hear about somebody who's had something happen to them, especially another member of the body of Christ. And think, oh, that's sad. That's such a shame. But Timothy took it further. And Paul says, I have nobody like him who cares for you because everybody else seems to care for their own concerns and not your concerns. No, he doesn't say that. What does he say? Everybody else cares for their own concerns and not for the concerns of Jesus Christ. That's interesting, isn't it? So when you care for somebody else in that kind of a way, you're caring for Jesus. <laughs> isn't that great? 
their concerns are the concerns of Jesus. And until you care for them in the same way that Jesus does, you can't claim to have Jesus' selfless love coursing through you. It's a bit like the parable of the sheep and the goats in Matthew's Gospel. Do you remember? At the end of time, the, the, the sheep say, Lord, when did we ever see you in prison and come and visit you? When did we ever do these things for you that you're talking about? And Jesus says, if you gave a cup of cold water in my name to the least of these, you did it to me. Selfless love cares about others to a greater than usual degree. But second, selfless love keeps on going when it's tried to the limit. Timothy had lived it out. He really had. And that's why Paul can say to the Philippians who'd watched uh, Timothy in action and, and seen him over years, you know Timothy's proven worth. And that Greek word dokime means worth, value that's been tested to the limit. His proven worth. How as a son with a father he served with me in the gospel. He'd been everywhere with the Apostle Paul. He'd been in situations where there was prison involved, uh, there was illegality, where they were trying to get away from all kinds of things. And he knew very well what it was to suffer for the sake of the gospel. Selfless love keeps on going when it's tried to the limit. Paul had seen so many people give up. Demons who loved this present world. Other people who'd gone and didn't know where they'd gone. Timothy stuck with him as a, like a son with a father. And uh, he was committed not just to Paul, but to Paul's message and to Paul's work as well. Because he loved people. Selfless love. Love gets tested, doesn't it? Relationships are not always sweetness and light. If marriage was all about, you know, wedding anniversaries and nice little meals in French restaurants and candlelit stuff, that would be great. But actually, marriage is about a tussle of wills sometimes. It's about who gets to do the not very nice jobs. It's about I want to do it this way, you want to do it that way. And real love keeps on going when it's tried to the limit. And what's true in marriage is, in true, in love, is true of love in any other connection as well. One of the great things about belonging to the church is that other Christians will sometimes get right up your nose. And the time to tell whether your love is truly selfless is when it's tested to the limit. Okay, let's look at Epaphroditus for a minute and uh, look at uh, what he's got to teach us. Epaphroditus, the gambler, the adventurous one. What do we learn from him? First of all, I think that selfless love is something that commits itself personally, practically and perilously. What do I mean by that? Well, look at the words that Paul actually uses about Epaphroditus when he mentions him. He talks about three different things. He says that Epaphroditus is my brother. And selfless love commits itself personally. You are not just another Christian. You are not just somebody in my church. You are my brother or you are my sister. And that's important. There's an emotional link there's a bond there. And one of the great things about being a Christian, let's face it, is that you can go to any part of the world, any other country, and you'll find people there who are family. Selfless love starts with that kind of commitment. But it doesn't stop there. I know lots of Christians who are brothers and sisters, and in my church, whom I have a, a, a less close relationship with because I've never worked with them. <laughs> Sometimes you wonder if they ever do any work. But when you've got people who've run groups with you, who've gone into the open air with you, who stood on doorsteps and shared the gospel with non-Christians with you, people who sat through late into the night planning holiday groups and, uh, and things like that. You know them in a real way. And selfless love 
commitment to other people starts with working together too. You cannot be a Christian without doing something for the kingdom of God. And you know what? One of the things that that will do for you is increase your love for the people you're working with. Nor did it stop there. He was a soldier too. What's the job of a soldier? To go into difficult situations, to face danger, to run risks. And Epaphroditus was prepared to do that for the sake of the gospel. Selfless love commits itself to the risk of loss. It commits itself to cost. It commits itself to the possibility of losing everything just because it loves the Lord and it loves brothers and sisters. Number four, selfless love shows initiative when it sees a need. What does that mean? Well, uh, if Paphroditus came not only to deliver a gift, Paul says, but also to do everything he possibly could for the Apostle Paul. We don't know what he did, but obviously prisons are not healthy places to be. And he came almost to the point of death because of his service to Paul. He caught something dreadful, probably not COVID-19 in those days, but something that would have had an equal effect. And remember that medicine in Paul's day uh, was not as advanced as it is now. Just as we are facing something without a vaccine that we just don't know our way around. So it was with many diseases in those days. And if you got as ill as Epaphroditus did, you just died. People had given up hope for him. And then God miraculously restored him. And Epaphroditus was quite prepared for all of this because he was showing initiative. He wasn't just saying, the Apostle Paul, okay, here you are. Uh, will you sign for this please? And I can take it back to the church in Philippi and show them I've delivered. No, it wasn't like that. He stayed around. He did everything he could. And selfless love does that. I was just reading a, a, a great uh, devotional uh, on Crosswalk by a guy called Michael Kelly last night. I don't know if I can get you. Yeah, there it goes. That's a bit better. And it's called Three Practical Ways to Weep with Those Who Weep. And Kelly's just been through some misfortune in his own family. He says, our family has been in these recent months in a season of grief. We have wept and then wept again. And by God's grace, there are those people who have wept alongside of us. This has been a very powerful thing for my family, to be loved and cared for and wept with by God's people. We've seen it, experienced it, and that experience has shown me that weeping with those who weep doesn't necessarily mean crying. It's not all emotional. It's showing initiative. And in that article, he talks about three ways in which people have just moved in on the life of their family and help them in practical ways that they never expected. And that was a way of grieving with them, mourning with them, helping them, taking initiative. And there's number five. And uh, this comes out of that last one really, doesn't it? It takes the feelings of others seriously. What was Epaphroditus bothered about? Oh, I nearly died there. I could have lost my life. It wasn't that at all. What he was bothered about was that people back in Philippi might have heard he was ill and they'd be worried. And so he was itching to get back to Philippi to make sure, see, see, I'm okay, I'm all right, now you can stop worrying. He really took the feelings of those others seriously. And that's selfless love, isn't it? When we care so much about other people, we don't want them to feel undue distress or worry or concern. It's easy to feel a moment of sympathy to somebody who's bereaved, somebody who's been through an unimaginable stress. It's very, very different to take that feeling on yourself as well. But that's what Paul says in Romans 12 we should do. Weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Share the feelings. Because that's what selfless love does.
Well, I've got one more thing to say, and that's number six. What's the final lesson you learn from Epaphroditus? That simply this, that selfless love risks itself to get a win for other people. Paul says he risked his life. And the word that he uses there is a word about gambling. Now, why did he do that? Well, I think he's, there's a little bit of Paul wordplay going on here. Because in those days, if you were a Greek gambler, before you throw the dice, you would say one word for luck. And that word, guess what was? Epaphroditos. That's right. You'd ask Aphrodite to help you. And so Paul knows that Epaphroditos, or Epaphroditus in Latin, uh, is the word that's associated with gambling from start to finish. He says, your guy Epaphroditus, he is a real gambler. That's what he's been doing with his life for the sake of the gospel and for your sake too. Because you couldn't help me, he stepped into the gap and he filled up the need. And uh, the phrase that Paul uses is that he would, parabolusamanos tepsuke. He gambled with his life. And the verb he uses there, which uh, appear, or the participle, which appears only once in the New Testament, comes up again in Christian history. Uh, this is the city of Carthage in North Africa. And in 252 AD, it was a place where a dreadful plague, far worse than COVID-19, broke out. And everybody was leaving the city. But the bishop of, of Carthage, Cyprian, and never believed they didn't have black people in the church in those early days because he was a Berber and, as you can see, he wasn't a white guy. He did not come from painting. But Cyprian, the bishop of Carthage, a well-respected man, got hold of the Christians and said, look, everybody's leaving town. We're not. We love other people selflessly, so we're staying here. Here's the record. Innumerable multitudes were swept away every day and the streets filled with the carcasses of the dead. Everyone was trembling, flying, looking after themselves, deserting their nearest friends and kindred. Nobody stayed around except the looters. In this sad and miserable case, Cyprian, then bishop of the place, called the Christians together. They unanimously agreed to assist their common enemies, everyone lending help according to his rank and quality. There were some who were too poor to give anything, but they contributed even more. They became key workers, personally labouring on the front line which was a more important thing to do than all other contributions. And you know what? As a result of what they did, they came to be known in Carthage as the Parabolani, the gamblers, because just like Epaphroditus, they risked their lives for the sake of the gospel. Parabolani. Back in 2015, you might remember seeing this newspaper headline, the Islamic State issued a video of... Uh, 30 Ethiopian Coptic Christians being led along the beach at gunpoint and then told to kneel down and beheaded because they wouldn't say no to Jesus Christ. And uh, uh, the, the, the pictures were absolutely horrific even if they were censored before we could see them in the West. And they showed how people uh, were dying for the sake of Christ and with their final breath, just before their heads were cut off, giving praise and worship to him. It was a tremendous moment. And they were dying because they just loved other people and they loved Jesus. The reason that ISIS did this was because they wanted to start a fight. They wanted the Christians to come back with an atrocity against them and then they could start civil war happening in Egypt or, 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 or thereabouts, or Libya. And uh, the response was different. The Bible Society in Cairo simply issued 
uh, a tract with a poem on the back. And the poem uh, was simply this. It's terrible poetry, but you get the point about what it means to be a gambler with your life for the love of other people. Two rows of men walked the shore of the sea on the day when the world's tears were drummed free. One a row of assassins who thought they did right, the other of innocents, true sons of the light. One holding knives and hands held high, the other with hands empty, defenceless and tied. One row of slits to conceal glaring dead eyes, the other with living eyes raised to the skies. One row stood steady, pallbearers of death, the other knelt ready, welcoming heaven's breath. One row spewed wretched contemptible threats, the other spread God-given peace and rest. A question. Who fears the other? The row in orange, watching paradise open, or the row in black, with minds evil and broken? Selfless love transforms people. That's what Paul was doing when he talked about Timothy and Epaphroditus to the people in Philippi. Selfless love cares about others to a greater than usual degree. Selfless love keeps on going when it's tried to the limit. Selfless love commits itself practically, personally and perilously. Selfless love shows initiative wherever it sees a need. Selfless love takes the feelings of others seriously, rejoicing with those who rejoice, crying with those who cry, weeping with those who weep. And selfless love risks itself to get a win for other people. May you show that sort of selfless love in painting this week. God bless you.